the um, it's called sporamin is the the uh, protein. It's not in any other plant except for in the sweet potato, is what I understand. Um, the leaves. Um, you can eat the leaves, they're kind of strong and they've kind of got a bit of a bitter taste, but the leaves uh, have a powerful anti-cancer property as well. Um, it's, it says they kill, it, uh, the leaves kill 94% of prostate cancer cells in vitro. Uh, an extract of sweet potato leaves was discovered to be extremely toxic to prostate cancer cells in a study killing 94% of them in vitro and slowing the growth of prostate tumors in mice by 75%. Other research has shown that these super greens are also active against breast cancer, lung cancer, colon cancer, stomach cancer, and leukemia. And the health benefits of these greens are not just for the lab. One study out of Taiwan showed that eating at least 100 grams per week of this super vegetable decreased lung cancer risk by up to 57%. In other studies, sweet potato leaves boosted immunity I won't read that. Uh, in human lowered in humans and lowered blood sugar in mice with type two diabetes. And if you need an energy boost, sweet potato leaf could be just the vegetable for you. A recent study showed it significantly relieved fatigue in mice, increased exercise capacity, and even boosted muscle glycogen levels. Why are these greens so powerful? They are an excellent source of potent antioxidants called polyphenols. Um, including the unique and powerful, I can't say that word, acids and anti-cancer peptides. And alkaline diet fans take note, these greens are one of the most alkalizing vegetables out there, delivering 400% the alkalizing power of pure lemon juice, ounce for ounce. So very powerful uh, medicinal properties and, and good nutritional. They're strong, so if you're going to eat them, you want to put them, mix them in with some, you know, put them in your salad raw, mix them in. Um, my wife cooks them sometimes in a stew, and you can't taste them then, but you get the benefit of them. So, um, very good stuff. Um, I don't know about here, but more and more scientific research is revealing the, um, the health benefits of sweet potatoes, so the demand for them is increasing. And um, so, um, yeah, it's uh, good from that perspective. Uh, Ellen White says this, in the cultivation of the soil, the thoughtful worker will find that treasures little dreamed of are opening up before him. No one can succeed in agricultural gardening without attention to the laws involved. The special needs of every variety of plant must be studied. Different varieties require different soil and cultivation, and compliance with the laws governing each is the condition of success. So not all crops are the same. They require different uh, things and different... Um, uh, care and so we're going to look into what it takes to grow sweet potatoes so um, if you're going to grow any quantity of them what you want to start out with we, we grow them in our raised beds in the greenhouse because we have to start them early to get them big enough to plant them out they're actually a tropical plant and um, they uh, love the heat um, and so because we have a cold winter that they wouldn't survive in, we start them in March and then we harvest the slips. So the vine pieces that you cut is called a slip and um, we harvest the slips in uh, May and then we plant them in the ground and then we harvest the roots in about uh, October. And um, 
So you can see there there's a raised bed, it's, um, and we basically just dig out the soil, about maybe uh, 150 millimeters of soil out, and then lay the sweet potatoes in there side by side, almost touching you know, as many as you can kind of fit, and just cover the bed with that, and then put the soil back on top, and then connect the, we use drip tape, and, and uh, so it's automatically watering them. And, um, and then you can see the, the metal hoops over there, so we're, we're inside a high tunnel. Um, but then we also put plastic over the bed as well, which increases the heat and retains more heat in there. And so from planting them in there, um, it um, takes about two weeks and then you start seeing sprouts coming up through the soil. And um, you just let them grow, and by, by them being so close together, Normally a sweet potato vine, the vines will creep out and just go horizontal, but because you've crowded them in side by side into the beds, they've got nowhere to go except up, which makes it really good for uh, harvesting them because then you just go and grab a handful with a knife, you just slice them off and you can you know, harvest a lot of them in a very short amount of time. And um, we don't grow all our slips, we, we grow uh, some of them. and. Um, so they take up a lot of space in the greenhouse and there's other reasons I don't have time to get into why we don't grow them all. But um, you can kind of get an idea from that picture. Where uh, It's in California, Northern California, yeah. So, but what I did was I adopted the way that we grow them in New Zealand and used it there, which no one was growing them that way. And so we were able to enter a local market in the foothills of the uh, Sierras in California no one else was growing them, and so it gave us an open door to start our farm. Actually, now I'm not. This last year, I didn't grow any, but that was basically God intervened and prevented me by causing the hydraulics on the tractor to go out, and I wasn't able to work the soil and, and get them in on time. So, um, but it actually turned out to be a blessing because we were able to do some other crops that worked out better as far as the finances go. But um, you can see here we use the rototiller. Um, with the clay soil, the clay is very heavy, and with planting, we use them, we hand plant them, and so you basically got to have your hand go into the soil, and if it's hard, you can't get it in there, you know. So we, we rototill, and that fluffs the soil up, and um, I made a molder for the back there. There's a picture of it um, here. Um, they're just attached to the back of the rototiller. And um, so you just go along and it throws the dirt out the back and molds it to the shape of the rows. It works really nicely, keeps them nice and even. And uh, with the, the width of the uh, tracks of the tractor, it's about 60 inches. Sorry, I'm talking in inches. I've been in America for 24 years. I've almost, I use metric a little bit, but I, it takes me a while to convert it in my head. So um, um, two rows fit in between the, the tracks, so they're 30 inches apart, which would be what, four, 450 millimeters, I think, um, apart, and then you can move over with it and do the next ones, and they'll, the spacing stays nice and even. Um, so I don't know if any of you are going to try to grow them with tractors. If you're not going to grow them with a tractor, you know, doing the rototilling and molding them like that, you can just rototill your ground and just take a rake and rake from both sides and just make a you know amount of dirt you probably want it to be um, probably 200 to 300 millimeters uh, tall ideally um, they'll grow in less but you want the root to have loose soil you know uh, space to, to expand if it's not if there's not a lot of it there um, 
it can dry out a bit and the roots want to find water and, and so if you have it too shallow and it dries out the roots will go deep into the hard pan underneath and then they tap into the water they'll be long and thin and then when you go to harvest them um, you usually snap them because they're, they're, instead of being short and fat they end up being long and thin and um, so that becomes a problem so I, I found that about 200 millimeters is to 300 millimeters works really well um, and the molder does that perfectly so i uh, show you a little uh, video of how we plant them so we've harvested the uh, slips there you can see them on the laps of the uh, students and then the tractor just moves down the road they've got them there and they just take them and just straight in the ground um, they're going quite fast there's kind of for them it's kind of a um, they want to see how fast they can plant them which we got so fast one time and then afterwards I found they were some of them were too shallow in there and I had to go replant them. So uh, that speed there works pretty good. And um, so basically the technique is you hold it like a pencil as if you're going to write and the soil's here and with your hand you go down into the soil and tuck it like that. Instead of going straight down it takes a lot of force and your shoulder gets really sore if you're just trying to you know go straight down. But if you go in and tuck it um, you want it to be under the, the soil by about that much, but um, if you tuck it like that, you get probably about 150 millimeters of the of the slip under the soil, so that when the water is on them in contact, you'll get roots along that hole. If you put them in only maybe 50 millimeters, they might wither and die and not actually take roots. So by putting them under um, a good 150 millimeters, they've got the best chance of survival. And it may also influence how many sweet potato that you grow off it because um, the distance that it's in the ground, those roots that grow out from it are going to form little potatoes. So, um, so um, are you saying the vines won't go sideways out of those rows? No, they will. When you're growing the slips for cutting and harvesting to then plant out, you, you crowd them together and that forces them to grow up. So you remember the picture I showed you with the raised bed? Yeah. And you just lay the sweet potato, you know, side by side, just one layer of them, cover them with dirt, water them, and then the, the, the vines grow up, and then you grab them and cut them. So let me go back, maybe I'm going too fast. Oh, you, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were only growing... I was growing the, the plants, yeah, the slips that we've taken and planted. Sorry, I'm, I'm not explaining it. So the, see these guys here? Yeah, yeah. Those are the slips. Yeah. And so you, you, you grab them and cut them. And then uh, the nice thing is about this, not, not many people are into them, and so we've got a secondary income after we plant. And, um, you know, you always grow more, more than you need because you don't want to run out. So we have people, home growers, that can't source their slips anywhere. They come and buy them from us, and so we actually earn, you know, a bit more money from selling slips. Um, and yes, um, like it's a new question, but in the previous presentation, mm -hmm. they were demonstrating a, like a paper pot. Yeah. Yes, transfer. I don't think it would work with this. They're too. The cells are really small. Yeah. Yeah, and you'd have to have something that was on a much bigger scale, and it'd take a whole bunch more equipment. That you know. So, um, but these. Um, I will say this: If you're getting, uh, if you're buying them from a commercial grower, be careful. See these ones here. The roots, uh, the the end of the um, the slip has a root out of it, growing out of it. Um, what I found was we were buying slips from a commercial grower, and then we started getting a disease 
called scurf, and I'll show you a picture of that. It's, it's fairly common with um, sweet potato. Um, because when they harvested them, instead of them cutting them above the ground, they yanked them, you know, just yank them out and they'll just break off the, the potato. And so you end up with some roots on the slip and what the disease in their soil transfers to your farm and, or your garden and, um, and then you end up getting the, you know, the disease. So uh, if you're getting them from somewhere, make sure they're cut off above the ground or if they do come with the roots on, make sure you cut them off before you plant them. They don't have to have roots on them to take. They're, they're like a weed. They, you put them in the ground and the water, once you give them water, they just shoot roots out so quickly and so fast. It's, it's really amazing. Um, so I'll skip that again. Um, okay, these um, sweet potato, if you want them to be nice and fat, they need a lot of potassium more than other plants. And um, I have to ask you a question. I've got something biting me that's stinging. Yeah, there's a big horse fly flying around. Well, no, it's not. It's crawling up my pants. I got, I got one on my knee and it was stinging, and now I've got one coming on here. So yeah, is it a spider? No, I looked and there was no tick. It's a cumin fly. Cumin fly. Is it a fly? Like they're really small? Yeah, but I'm, it's whatever it is, it's crawling up my leg, and I don't know if I'm getting bit by a spider, or I have no idea. It's quite painful. Yeah, it's quite sore. It could be a little bit of ants, Okay. I mean, it's bearable. It feels like, have you ever had stinging nettles? Yeah, yeah. It feels like they're green. No worries. No Not really hard. I'm just going to find it and kill it. It'll come out through your collar shortly. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if I, I needed to go and. Uh, I was getting bitten by a poisonous spider. I'm not used no, to what you no. have over here. <laughs> okay, so back to the, the potassium. Um, we I use uh, Whitmar as the soil consultant and get the recommendations from him. But what I have found, um, I actually did an, uh, sent commercial sweet potatoes and our sweet potatoes to a lab, and they dried them and analysed the nutrient content. And the ones from the supermarket that are nice and big and fat had three times the potassium as our ones. And um, so I realized, and, we, and our ones were typically not as fat, but they were longer. You had to just leave them to grow for a longer period of time to get them to a diameter that was more desirable for the market. And so I realized that the commercial growers are feeding a lot more potassium than you know what we're getting the recommendations for. So I've experimented, and three times the potassium seems to be about right. But what we do is rather than just broadcast it onto the uh, soil three times, you can do that. But if you um, if you learn what um, Whitmar teaches in that class, when you've got too much potassium, it actually can counteract and, and make some other um, minerals from being available. It kind of blocks the way. So rather than uh, giving it all at once, maybe I'd put one and a half times the recommendation on. And then the rest put it through the drip system. You can, um, you know, inject it through, and that works. But uh, if you at a, if you do it growing at home, um, yeah, okay. In the same with the salt, the extra sulfur. Yeah. Uh, it can work the same way. If you get too much, if you've got okay sulfur, you can put more sulfur in. Then you end up with an imbalance of sulfur in excess, and that can affect the other minerals the same yeah. way. Yeah. Now, one one thing that I will say, sweet potato are so hardy. They'll grow in poor, poor soil. You know, they're, they're just amazing. I've had one patch in a field where I was growing them, not even weeds were growing there. It was like bare, nothing, you know. And 
sweet potatoes grew in it. They didn't grow as well as the rest, but they did grow. Um, so uh, if the sulfur, like the, the soil becomes more acidic because of extra sulfur, they seem to not worry about it, you know. Um, and I haven't found, sulfur is so mobile, it leaches out, you know, with the rains. And so I haven't found, when I do my soil test the next year, that there's a too high a sulfur. It always seems to work out all right. So um, that's one of the keys. If you're growing in, at home and you're using compost, you'll probably have plenty of uh, potassium in the compost um, because of the concentration there. You can see the difference here between these um, these sweet potatoes. See, this is nice. This is what our goal is to get ones that are short and fat like these these ones here. And these longer ones um, either didn't get enough water um, or didn't get enough potassium. And um, so potassium is a big influence. And when you're growing commercially for sale, you, you sell them by the pound. So the difference between this one and this one could be more than double that you're earning from, you know, from your crops. So potassium is really, really important. Weeding, you just heard uh, John talking about weeds. Really important to weed them. Um, weeds just want to take all the nutrients and, and, and you know, uh, smother the plants. So we used to hand weed a lot of them and uh, backbreaking work. The students would complain and, and it was uh, a lot of hard work to just go through five acres and, and do them all by hand. And you couldn't just do it with a long stand-up weeder because you'd chop off the vines because you've got to weed around them. So we used hand weeders where we had to hold the plant and go around it. You know, and So it was incredibly hard work. So um, I had been teaching welding to some of the students and one of them that was really complaining about the weeding said, please, can we just make something we can lie down on and, and, and weed? And I thought, you know, when you're busy with the, the um, season, you don't have time to stop and build it, you know, something yet. And uh, he kept on me, and so finally I think the Lord impressed me, yeah, let's, let's do that. So we, we took half a day and we made a, we had a bunch of scrap steel and stuff, and so we made a lay-down weeder, and it's been amazing. Um, this is a mechanical weeder just with shovels that goes through the rows. So the first weeding when the plants haven't started you know, spreading out, um, we'll go through with that and then we go through and there they are lying down and uh, made these little hand weeders with a triangular blade that are sharpened all the way around and as we go, the tractor goes down the row and they're happy. And it actually sped, up, sped it up instead of it taking two weeks to weed uh, a two acre field it took uh, two and a half days, so, uh, and they're happy, you know, teenagers love to be together and they love to communicate and if one's faster than the other, he'll slow down because he doesn't want to be far apart from the ones that are slower and so you usually go at the pace of the slowest student, uh, whereas there, they're on there, the tractor sets the pace and so it was magic, it was really good. Um, so here's a picture of the weeds in front. You can see grass and everything growing, and there's a picture behind as we've traveled over. And, and uh, you know, the drip tape's there, you just kind of move it out of the way, and then when you turn it back on, you set it up back in the top of the row. There's, this is a field with um, different varieties. We tried all kinds of varieties, and we settled on three kinds. Uh, what I found was even though we had varieties that tasted better and, and so on than the, the ones that were on the market, Americans just were set in their ways. They liked the ones they used to and they didn't want to try something else. So we just ended up just growing the ones that they normally bought. Um, and um, this is just a picture of the field. We had um, 
sweet potatoes in different places that that far side of sweet potatoes on the other side of the ditch and a bunch of tomatoes there um yes yeah the white ones, the purple ones, or the orange ones. Okay. Yeah, with now them. within within those three kinds, there's many kinds within yeah, those two those colours. Yeah. I don't know what you have available here, but there's actually way more than a hundred, you know, different varieties of, that you can buy. Yeah. Um, and so, if you're going to grow for for sale, you want to find out what the commercial the, the commercial varieties have been bred because they're the best for commercial production. Um, and even though you can grow other ones they may not yield the same quantity, they may not taste as good, they may uh, have disease issues. They, they breed the commercial varieties to be disease resistant and, and what, what actually happens is they have to continue to breed new varieties because new diseases come along and then they want a, a, a strain that's going to be resistant. So it's constantly changing. And if we saw that you're not getting much has been genetically modified. There's no sweet potatoes being genetically modified yet. Yeah. So yeah, we're safe on that. Um, this next uh, little video is um, our elementary school or primary school, as you call them here. Um, the kids would come up to the farm periodically to help out, and so pulling up the drip tape, I can go through and and plough the. Um, the sweet potato up with the drip tape in place but at some point you've got to remove it so we're just pulling the drip tape out I'd go and cut it in sections because they're like 200 feet lengths um, so I made up this tool here for harvesting it's like a plow but it's just flat and it just pushes them up to the surface and um, it has a, a, a coulter or the kids call it a pizza cutter it goes in front of the, the arm that goes down cuts the vines and then just pushes them up, and then it's just a matter of lifting the vine with the you know the sweep that on there and pulling them off and picking them up. I also made this harvester, but we had too many rocks in our field and it keep jamming it up, and so um, we don't actually use this one. But you can see that this was beautiful because where the soil was good, it would just dump them on the on the ground, and um, we could just pick them up off the ground, and um, it was a lot less work. But it it ended up when it was jamming all the time taking more time than the other one, so we stopped using But if you've got sand, sandy loam, it's the best kind of soil for it. Um, clay is, is, is the challenge. If you think that can be seen like that, kind of cause bruising to the sweet potato? Um, if it's landing on soft soil, it's okay. Now, um, it's a good point, actually. Sweet potato are very sensitive to bumping. Um, they it actually triggers something inside them molecularly that that just um, wants them to start rotting you know they and they go rotten very quickly so if you were to just drop it on the concrete yeah. it, would, it would go rotten and maybe by the next week or something like that so you do want to handle them but we found that with them dropping on the soil that's just been worked um, it doesn't have that effect uh, but you do want to be careful with the skin. You don't want to knock the skin off them um, too much. You can get away with a little bit. And we'll talk about curing them. When you cure the sweet potato, it actually will heal if you get a cut or a uh, bit of skin knocked off them, and then you don't have issues. But if you don't cure them, they'll go rotten, and the bacteria gets in through where they're cut or where the skin is lost. Um, so that's a picture of the tool. I actually modified... These things were actually uh, for big machines that... Um, with lifting the drip tape out of the ground and so I, I made a toolbar and mounted them on there and, and put the coulters and it worked really nicely. Um, 
This is what the commercial growers use. It's a trailerized unit that goes behind the tractor. You can see the conveyor that would have the same kind of rods that the dirt and the sweet potato would go up and then shake it and the dirt would fall through and the sweet potatoes go up a conveyor and then they have a whole team of people. They sort, grade and put them into the right bin on the side there and then when they fill up then a tractor comes along and forks off the bin and then goes and uh, takes it away and they just keep harvesting continually and they do it very fast and very economically. So if you're growing them for a market garden situation like John has been uh, demonstrating, um, it's really hard for you to make decent money out of sweet potato. They're more work than regular crops. Um, the work of getting them out of the ground and, and all of that. But if you're wanting to have variety for your customers, um, it's, it's a good thing to add for that. But if you want to do several acres and you're getting bigger and you can get some more efficient equipment, then you may be able to make money. My friends in New Zealand that grow them, they do up to 70 acres and they make a lot of money on them. But they've got this kind of a, a unit uh, to harvest them. So then you can see here's an example. You can see the slip. This would have been from the slip would have been this part. And then from the slip it sent many vines. They'll, they'll go out three meters or more. You know, different varieties go have different lengths, but this is a purple Japanese kind, and you can see this is what we're aiming for. There's four big, beautiful um, sweet potato on this uh, slip, and there, this is an orange variety. Same thing, pick it up, and there's a uh, whole family of them there. This is the disease called scurf. It's black. It stains the skin. It's only on the skin. It's not in, inside. But for selling, in America, everybody's been conditioned that everything has to be picture, picture perfect, you know. And, and the stores won't buy it if it's got the staining on it. But you can just scratch it off with your fingernail or you can peel it off and underneath there's nothing wrong, you know, with them. But we end up having to throw away the ones that had scurf. And this spreads really fast. So if you, if you find that you start getting some scurf, don't grow it there the next season. Give that, give that field a break um, and hopefully it won't... Um, continue to spread but if you grow we, we found it one year and we grew the next year and it went it's probably increased it actually ended up affecting 25% of our crop from just a very small amount just in one season so um, it's a pretty serious one um, so what we would do is pick up the um, pick them up off the ground and put them into these these crates um, students are out there picking them up after we ploughed them up, um, put them in these little plastic totes, take them over to the crate, and I had to teach them to gently, you know, dump them into the crate, and um, and then we'd use the forks on the tractor, put them on the trailer, and haul them to our shed and cure them there. Um, so. Here's the shed. We just got an old metal building. It's not insulated or anything, but we would um, put them inside there. And um, to cure them, they like humidity and heat to cure. So they like the conditions that actually make them sprout and grow. And um, so in the shed, the concrete floor kind of drops down, go about 50 millimeters down to the to the center so I can flood the, the floor with water and then I've got a, um, a furnace, a propane furnace and I just heat it up to uh, what's 85 degrees in Fahrenheit and Celsius probably like 30 degrees 
um, close to 30 degrees and for three days like that it, it's enough to cure them. You can go longer sometimes uh, they recommend a week but I found three days is sufficient for them to cure and any breaks that they've snapped or their skin that it'll heal them over you actually see them dry and, and like almost like a scab that forms over them and, and then they don't go rotten. If you don't do that then you'll lose them fairly quickly. So then when we started out we didn't have a lot of money to put into it so uh, we used an old bathtub, just put it up on legs, and we'd put them inside there, we'd wash them, picked up an old, um, um, it's a conveyor dryer that was used in a print shop off what, Craigslist for $200, and um, so we'd put forced air through there, and then have forced air above, I took a, um, a round table and motorized it as a collection table, and um, they came through, and with forced air they would dry, and then from there we would pack them into the um, uh, boxes ready to ship and um, it, you know we'd ship them out and it actually worked out really good because we were able to have student labor right through the winter season when normally we weren't growing anything so uh, it was a good fit but I did find the kids didn't enjoy it and I really wanted them to enjoy their farm experience so now we've switched over to doing more cherry tomatoes and they love cherry tomatoes. They just graze on them, and they can chat and pick, and and um, it's uh, turned out to be a better uh, situation for them to have an enjoyable farm experience. So I'll I don't know how much time we have left, but um, I think we've got what uh, twenty minutes. Is that right? Yes. Um, so if you have any questions, I normally take at least an hour to go through sweet potatoes, but I had to condense it because he asked me to do other specialty crops as well. Um, so I could share more details. I'll take a few minutes if you have any questions now before I jump into the basil. basil. Um, any, any questions? You can talk to me after if any come to your mind. Uh, so we'll jump into the sweet basil. Um, so it's another crop that has a lot of amazing health benefits. Just read through this. Basil is an herbal, well, I can say herbal, you'll understand that in America they don't pronounce the H. <laughs> herbal. Uh, antibiotic and antiseptic, carminative and appetizer that has a special affinity for the stomach. Basil significantly benefits the stomach during digestion and can provide immediate relief from gas, stomach cramps, and nausea. It also contains powerful anti-inflammatory uh, properties and can provide relief for inflamed bowel conditions such as colitis, IBS, Crohn's and celiac disease. It is also highly an antibacterial and antiviral, making it effective against bacterial infections, intestinal parasites, colds, flu, mono, shingles and herpes. Um, basil is, rich, is a rich source of magnesium which relaxes muscles and blood vessels and supports cardiovascular health by lowering the risk of irregular heart rhythms and spasms. The essential oil of basil contains eugenol, which works similarly to aspirin and ibuprofen in decreasing the swelling in joints and tissues to provide relief from arthritis and fibromyalgia. Basil's fungicidal properties also aid in healing wounds, skin rashes, warts and insect bites. So, pretty good medicinal plant, wouldn't you say? Um, so, um, one thing I will say about why we got into um, 
growing basil was when I was looking for the crops that I could grow that um, would get me into the market. We're in a very competitive area and um, the stores, you know, had other farmers supplying and so the regular crops like tomatoes and cucumbers and things were a little hard to get them to buy from us because they already had supplies and they weren't interested in, you know, supporting a new farm. But they wanted um, basil and I had to learn how to grow it and the first year wasn't very good. Um, the next year we improved and it's got better and better as I've learned their habits each, each time. But one thing about it is that um, we start growing it and we supply from May all the way through to October and um, it's a very constant stream of income right through the season. We can grow it in a very small amount of space and it brings in a lot of money but it's just constant regular work to harvest them and so on. You only plant, plant it once, don't have to keep doing succession crops, like a lot of crops you, you plant and then you harvest and you plant again. With this you can grow, it's actually another tropical plant that if it didn't get cold, it would just grow year round, you know, and it gets, grows into a, quite a large bush. Um, so you can cut it, and I'll show you the way that you can cut it. You cut it, and if you do it the right way, it'll actually keep expanding and, and, and from you know, growing a, a central... Uh, stem it'll keep doubling and doubling as you keep harvesting from it and um, so what we found was this was one of the best um, door openers to get us into stores because when we started supplying it and the customers loved it so much we actually um, they started really liking us as a farm and then they started buying other things that we were supplying so it got our foot in the door of, of a number of places and um, it's an excellent crop. So here you can see this is inside our high tunnel. has roll-up sides on it, and uh, we can start them early before, about a month earlier than we can do it outside. So we've just got a raised bed in there, and um, it's about, um, about nearly half a meter wide. And I, I've got three rows there in that picture. I think I, I went four rows wide. I, I plant them really close together, about... Um, 150 millimeters apart in the rows and in the rows. So I crowd them. Um, I find that that works well for them. They want to just grow up and that gives them nice long stems as well. I haven't experimented yet, but I'm going to, uh, I want to experiment putting some shade cloth over them because, you know, plants, when they don't get enough light, they, they reach for the light and you want nice long stems and that's for easy harvesting. Um, one of the reasons why people really like the sweet um, basil is, that we grow is because the stuff that, that is available in the, in the shops is uh, in the, the clamshells, you know, the plastic thing. Uh, they're grown hydroponically, they don't have a lot of flavor, they're, they're mild, and uh, they get very little of it, whereas we make a, a generous bunch and um, it's grown in good organic soil and it's got a lot of flavor and, and people just love it and it sells really, really well. So um, if you can learn to grow it well, it's one of those things that a lot of farmers, um, small farms that start out growing it, they don't really put a lot of attention to it and, and don't, uh, aren't able to supply the quantity that the customers want. So you can see um, I grow it on the edges of the, of the greenhouse. I've got tomatoes on the inside but, um, and cucumbers over there. So I've got a row there in between and then one on the edge. Uh, I didn't really take a lot of photos. <laughs> One nice thing about the, the sweet basil is it doesn't have pests. Now you can see a couple of deer in there. 
um, the deer broke into the you know greenhouse and they like to eat the tomatoes, they like to eat the cucumbers, but they don't even touch the sweet basil. And um, I don't have, at the end of the season I get a little bit of white fly, but it's not enough to um, prevent it from being marketable, I still harvest it and sell it. Um, if I was wanting to do something to combat the white fly, I'd probably spray a neem oil on it, but I haven't had to. And um, so it's, it's a really nice crop, no disease issues, no pest issues and, that are significant. And it's just grow it and harvest it week after week, twice a week actually we harvest it. So what we do is we have these Rubbermaid um, totes that are about this high, about you know this size. And then you can see I, I put some holes in the side, three holes that are about um, probably 40 millimeters round. And um, so we can put lids on them and we can stack them because they take up a fair amount of space and when we're delivering them we have a lot of other produce and we fill the van up and so we make them stackable, they can breathe. They like to be stored at room temperature, um, probably 20 degrees is good. Um, if they're warm they'll actually keep growing when they're in water, they'll put roots out and they just keep growing and pretty soon you'll see flowers you know, heads coming on and they'll actually last for about two weeks looking like they're freshly picked when they're in water. So we put them in the, in the um, tubs with about 50 millimeters of water and then we take a, a, about a 25 millimeter chicken mesh and cut it out and then fold the sides down and so we make our bunches with about 19 millimeter diameter of, of stems, put a rubber band around it and then poke it through the mesh and it sits in water, stays fresh, we deliver it to the markets they put it out or they some of them actually put the whole tub out there and the customer just comes and pulls it out of the tub and, and takes it and so it's a really nice system. We put 15 bunches and we sell a tub for $30 so we get $2 a bunch. Um, I don't know what Australian prices would be here but here's one of the markets. They actually had their own display. They would take the, the chicken mesh straight out and just transfer it to their display unit there and the customers would come and uh, take it straight from the from the display. And um, I think this last season, I'm trying to remember how many bunches. I think we did over 10,000 bunches. And what you saw those those beds in the greenhouse. Um, if you were to times that by two and a half, that's how that the area that we grew them in. So it brought in a significant amount, about twenty thousand dollars from just a very small area. Um, but you, you, it takes time to harvest, uh, so every week we were harvesting twice and um, delivering twice a week. I'll show you this little video, there's no sound to it. Um, there was a guy at Wemo said, hey I want to make a video of the farm, do you want to you show something or whatever? I said, oh I'll show you basil. So he made it up and uh, in it I explain a uh, little bit about the cutting and, and so on. And I wish I could speed it up because it's kind of I don't think we have a lot of time here, but um, it'll get to the place, I'll pause it so you can see the stems and see the, the growing habits, so I can explain to you more carefully um, how to bunch them, and um, it's a technique that um, works really, really well. Is there any way I can speed this up? Let's see, maybe I can... Okay, you can see me bunching it there and I just put it in a glass of water just for demonstration purposes. Um, 
Okay, let's get a shot of the stem. Uh, let me stop there for a sec. See this guy here? Yeah. Ah. I don't know, I'm gonna... Sorry, I'm gonna go back. Anyway, if you've ever grown it, they, they want to put flowers on. And a lot of people that grow it let those flowers develop. Now, let me see. Usually, if you hit the space bar, it uh, pauses it. But uh, let me see. Yeah, I will do that. But uh, okay. So um, this is the start of the flower. It'll be just like a whole bunch of little leaves in there. You can see it on this side. You don't want it to develop. So when you see it starting to put the heads on, um, we harvest them so heavily that they very rarely get to that stage. But if they do get to that stage, you want to uh, trim that off and don't let it develop because as soon as it starts, it'll put white flowers and then it'll start seeding and the plant uh, changes its flavor. It becomes more astringent and not very nice. Not only that, the plant takes the energy from the leaves to put into the seeds and they shrink and they become more yellow instead of um, green and uh, it's not, not very good. Um, so, let's see. Okay, here we go. Let's get a shot. Just with that plane. Okay, so with this shot here, you can see the stem and it's got the two big leaves there and you can kind of vaguely see in between the two leaves it starts sending out a new shoot um, and uh, so from the stem you've got the two leaves and then you'll get two more stems coming out above that and it just that's the growing habit of it just keeps keeps producing them so when we cut them for bunching we'll just cut it above those two leaves and where the two shoots and, and then what it, the plant does is that one that you cut it replaces with two more and um, they grow fast enough that once a week you can just go back so it'll grow big enough that you can go back and harvest again a week later. Um, let's see if we can uh, move this along to another shot that might show it. I'm not sure if that looks clearer to you. Can you see that? Okay, there's a... Let me pause it. Whoops. In the right place. I'm going to get my hand out of the way there. I'll take it back a little bit and play it and pause it. Okay, so here, can you see that stem there? That's where it was cut last time, and you see the two that replaced it? There? So that's the growing habit, and, and it just keeps bushing out more and more and more um, as you keep harvesting from it. So it starts out as a little plant. And by the end of the season, it's like a huge, you know, plant, and it's like a hedge. You know, it grows up so thick. Um, and we actually feed. Um, I better tell you this now while I'm remembering, because I haven't got it in the slideshow. But also injecting through the drip line, we're feeding them with a little bit of potassium and a little and nitrogen. And um, I don't know that they need much in the way of potassium, but it does add strength to the stems. Um, when you use just the nitrogen on its own, they become weak and more limp. 
uh, it's putting on a lot more watery growth. So we, we feed the nitrogen through and that keeps a lot of good vegetative growth occurring. Yes? Do you let the basil plant at the end of the season, do you let them go to seed at all? No. No, the seed is so cheap, it's incredibly cheap. If I wanted to save the seed, I would. But we harvest it until it gets so cold that it's not possible for the plant to actually produce seed for us. We harvest as long as, as it... When the temperature drops down to, I'm thinking probably below... Mm -hmm. Could be 15, no, maybe 12 or so degrees Celsius, they start getting black spots on the leaves and then they're not, very, not good enough to market. So uh, they like the, they love the heat. Um, so I'm not sure if there's anything else worthwhile that you can see here. Here's a picture, uh, you know, of this. Um, you know, the temptation is to um, harvest long stems. We keep them fairly short, about this long. Um, if you harvest long stems, you actually get less of a harvest, you know, and, and typically the customers are happy as long as it's a full bunch, if it's a short, you know, um, from stem to the top of the leaves, and, um, and it just gives the plant a chance to reproduce faster. So um, that's pretty much the, uh, what I have for sweet basil. Um, Again, I'll say that it has been such a door opener. This, the demand for it is higher than we're able to produce. Every year I, I grow more, like 25% more, and every year I don't have enough. This last year I grew, uh, again, about 25% more, and the Lord blessed um, that we sold double of the previous year. So it was just through Him blessing the crop that it actually produced, even though we only grew 25% more. Um, so um, the demand is there. Once people get the flavor and, and taste of it, uh, it just sells like crazy. So any questions that in, you know, is our time up? Okay. So I'll show you a couple of other things that we grow. We're, we're wholesale only. Yeah. Just a question about the different varieties. Okay. Holy basil, which is a really tiny leaf one. Yes. I've heard that that's got better medicinal properties. But Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. So I think you have to grow what, what people want. You know, if you're growing it commercially to, to make money off it, then we, there's uh, Thai basil too that uh, has a different flavor and it's kind of purplish. And people, some people buy it, but the, we've grown it and the percentage that we would sell compared to the other would be 5%. And the demand is so high for the other that I don't even bother with that, you know. So. Garden the cucumbers, how do you think powdery mildew? With, with um, cucumbers? I, um, I really don't have issues with powdery mildew. We have a very dry climate, um, and it may be that because I, I spray a weekly uh, spray of our neem oil on the cucumbers for aphids and for. Sorry? Neem oil? Yeah, and it could be that that helps keep the powdery mildew away. At the very end of the season, I do see some of it, but it's at, at the time that I'm uh, not worried about it. And um, I have heard from other growers that if you can maintain a, a humid environment, that the uh, powdery mildew doesn't grow in a humid environment. So that would mean having some misters to keep the, the uh, leaves uh, moist, you know. Um, 
But there's others who have tried. There's different organic sprays for powdery mildew that I've seen on the market. I've never needed to try them. Um, but um, one that I've heard was uh, using milk. You know, they use milk and spray it. I've never had to. You know. I've used, I've used yeah. We've tried that. Yeah. Does it work? Yeah. It, it doesn't. Yeah. You've got to get it early, though. Yeah. You've got to get it early. Okay. Yeah, so um, we grow, this is an English cucumber uh, or a European cucumber. It's actually the Dutch who produce this particular variety, and it's a very expensive one. It costs a dollar per seed, so a lot of money. But um, we sell the cucumbers for $2. I think this year it went up to $2.32 each. So the first fruit more than pays for the seed, you know. So, um, and one one plant will produce about 50 cucumbers. So it, it well and truly pays for itself. We actually shrink wrap them. I'm not sure if I get a picture of the. Uh, no, I don't. Um, but we, it's it costs us $500 for the shrink wrapping equipment and just a, a roll of shrink wrap with a single bar sealer. And the shrink wrap comes with a fold in it. And you seal it, slip it in, seal next to it, turn it around, seal the end, and then with a, it's a blower that looks like a hairdryer, but a commercial kind of one, and just go over and blow it, and it shrinks it, and then we put our own sticker on there, and um, it, it's local, and it tastes better than the hydroponically grown uh, ones that are available, and they sell well, so um, that's another crop that we, we grow. I'm sorry, I was asked to do this after the season so I didn't take if I knew that I was going to teach the class that I'd take more pictures and you know that would kind of walk you through some of the um, things. This is another uh, crop that we grow we don't sell a lot of it but it, it adds to our income it's um, eggplant it's uh, the seed is called Nubia uh, it's sold as graffiti is the name the market name for it and um, it's very pretty and ladies do most of the grocery shopping and when they see something pretty, they have to have it. So, uh, compared with the black, um, the black uh, eggplant, it sells probably, I think, maybe three times as much. So um, that was a nice uh, little crop to grow. Um, this one here, do you guys recognise this? Yeah. Patty pan squash. I I grew it for the first year this time, and I was amazed. It was really popular, and I tasted it for the first time, and I love the flavour, and it's really really nice. And so we sold everything that we grew. We, we just um, didn't grow enough of it. What were they called there? Patty pan? Patty pan. Yeah. Sorry? It, it, the plant looks like a zucchini or a courgette plant. Um, yeah. Uh, they'll grow, you know, if you leave them on, they'll grow to this kind of size. That's as big as I, you know, they can grow. Um, but. Um, they're firmer than a zucchini or a courgette. Um, they're a little bit different flavour. They're very nice. I like them. They're, uh... Yeah, I I found they the store that asked us to um, grow them for them. They wanted them small like that. I supplied them with them like that size. No one complained. They still tasted great. So you know if you can let them grow one more day and get double the size and double the weight, you make more money. And when the the, the demand is there. I kind of play around to find out what they'll tolerate, and so you know, and they pretty soon give you the feedback if it's not within their uh, likes, and you can adjust it. This is another one that we uh, grow, and uh, we don't have a huge market for it, but again, a little bit of variety. It kind of looks pretty. 
this is called Zephyr. It's a cross between a, um, you know, the yellow crookneck and the regular green zucchini. And so it has a green tip on it and yellow, and so it looks really nice. Some of these, you know, oddball things just can add a nice bit of extra income. I don't know if you can see very well these ones here. These are lemon cucumbers. I know in New Zealand they have apple cucumbers. Do you have them here? Yeah. They're just a little round. They're prolific. They grow really um, a huge crop in about a, you know, within a month. And um, I do a succession planting of them. And we sell a lot of those. They're really popular. Um, so that's another one. Uh, last two years I've been growing um, cherry tomatoes. And um, our most popular one is a mixed medley. And I'm sorry I don't have a, a picture of them in the actual clamshell, but they're really pretty. We have the yellows, we have a white cherry. This one here, these ones with the perp dark purple, almost black color, is called Indigo Drops. Um, you can buy one that's called Indigo Rose, but they grow bigger and they're, not, they're too big for a, a cherry tomato. But they just came out with these Indigo Drops. Um, by the way, if you're wondering where to get these seeds from, there's a, have you heard of Johnny's Seeds, Johnny's Selected Seeds? Um, you can order from here and they'll ship to you, they ship overseas, um, and you can, they have a really nice wide variety of um, uh, untreated, they have some treated seeds and they have a lot of organic seeds as well, really good service, and for the most part the quality is really good. But when you're looking at the seeds, one way to tell if the quality of the seed is good needs to be fat and plump and shiny. And if you get seeds that are kind of dimpled and they're dull, they were grown in poor soil probably, and your, the germination rate usually is low, and, um, and they don't always produce like strong, vigorous uh, plants. But typically this company has really good ones. I have had some issues with some seeds. Um, so the other thing is um, with our big beefsteak, or what do you call here the big tomatoes? Not the the healing ones, but the just the regular ones that you'd slice okay. from. Chelsea tomatoes or hormone tomatoes. Okay, yeah, they're usually like 75 millimeters round or something around that size. Um, we can sell those all day long, um, but the plants often produce smaller ones that they don't want. And so we just put them into a little clamshell like that, put our label on it. And before, I couldn't sell them. And so we were just giving them away and we had more than we could give away. So I started putting them in the one pound clamshells and that year it added 2000 no, actually $3,500 extra income between these and the small Romas. Um, so it was really a blessing to just find a way to, to sell stuff. So. People buy a lot by appearance and how nice it looks. Um, I think that's it as far as what I put into this, and I think our time is probably up. Um, any questions or? Okay. Well, we'll uh, leave with that, and yeah, God bless you and your growing uh, experiences. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.